This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation. New, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. I'm your host, Ryan Jury. We are about to explore practical solutions and hear about how out-of-reach results are obtained. Welcome to this installment of the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. For those who don't know much about our team, we're a national team scattered all across the U.S. Most of our team meetings are over Zoom, and we rarely get to see each other face-to-face. Periodically, we find a group of us all in the same place. In this episode, Harpreet Sangara, Amanda Laramie, and myself are all in the same city. Crazy as we are, we thought that it would be cool to spend our time recording a podcast episode together. So we gathered the equipment and had a roundtable discussion about coaching. In this discussion, you'll hear a reference to something called a rapid DPI, or DPI. DPI stands for Dramatic Performance Improvement, but rapid DPI is one of our intense intervention models. Over the course of four days, a Coleman Associates training team of three to five associates works shoulder to shoulder with your staff at your site, radically redesigning work processes while you continue seeing patients. Staff is coached aggressively during that on-site week. I share that with you so that you can understand why we're referencing rapid DPI when we talk about coaching. In addition, we talk about the challenges of sustaining change coaching and the time investment needed to sustain those changes through coaching. In this episode, we explore coaching tips and tricks from our Harpreet and Amanda, who have over 16 years of coaching under their belts. We recognize the audio is a little different, but thought the content was worth sharing. So please enjoy. What makes a big change sustainable? Well, I think there's a bunch of things. Uh, One is leadership involvement. So I think leadership have to be completely committed to keeping it going. Have to make it important for them. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think there's processes you can firm up through like checklists and protocols. And Atul Gawande talks about that all the time with checklist manifesto. Okay. Um, And then there's coaching. And coaching comes in the form of new staff orientation, you know, making sure new staff know how to do it. But in order to roll out the changes you experiment with on a small scale, you need to coach to make them stick. Okay. So how would you delineate the difference between training and coaching? Working with somebody while they're doing the work, you're shoulder to shoulder with them and you're not necessarily, you're not doing the work, but you're asking questions that triggers them to think, okay, what comes next? Um, You're helping to sustain new habits. What makes coaching innovative? So this is the Innovation Podcast. What makes coaching innovative? There's this amazing article we often send people that was in the New Yorker by Atul Gawande, and it's called mm-hmm. Personal Best. And he writes about... And he's written other books, right? Yes. Okay. And it's all about how you can have coaches in your professional life, mm-hmm. and it can be as helpful as people who have them in there, if they're a sports, they're in sports, if they're an athlete, if they're a singer, you have coaches, but why don't you have more in your professional life? Mm, okay. And he shares his own example of like feeling the effects of having a tennis coach. And then he was like, oh, I, I wonder if a coach could help me in the operating room. And he brought mm. someone in to observe him perform this procedure, which he was really good at performing. And then he came out of it and he's like, oh, I did you know, what else is he going to say? Like, that was really good. That was my best time ever. And actually the coach had pages of notes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that was set, that table was set up well for you, but did you realize how many steps that 
your nurses were walking to get around you to hand you the equipment. And he was like, oh my God, all of a sudden I had someone with a new lens see what I'm doing because I've been in my own perspective for so long. I don't see where I can improve. So what I love about that article is that it, it shows you, you don't have to be an expert in any one field to be a coach. You just have to know the process, know what you're looking for, ask the right questions mm-hmm. to get the person to the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or to, is that worked to the results? To the results, okay. right. And I think you can find examples in your life of coaching. Like my uncle was applying for a new job and had a coach who was helping him interview mm-hmm. differently. And he gave him all this feedback that like changed his life and his even his demeanor about how he held himself or how like he was kind of intimidating the way he leaned forward. So they gave him feedback on his posture and his position. And so, you know, you can use coaching to work on anything, really. And I think sometimes people think that when you're coaching, you have to provide like this feedback that's really going to rock the person's world or the way they do things and doesn't, but even the smallest things can make a huge difference. Um, how 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 can I be an effective coach? Like, what does being an effective coach look like? Being present, paying attention to results, providing feedback in real time. Don't settle for less. You know what people are. You know what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. So don't let makes, them deliver less than that. That makes an effective coach. Yes. I know that if if you Harpreet sat near me while I was working and watched how I work, you would give me all this feedback about how I could use my time more efficiently. And vice versa. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, Amanda, stop checking emails every 10 minutes. Batch your emails. Like, that is a <laughs> habit I cannot break where I consistently check. And I know how inefficient it is because it takes me out of whatever I'm doing and then I don't finish that other task. And what I also like, I especially love about working on this team is I'm not going to always have the answer. But I love that I can call any other coach and run them through where I got stuck. Right. And they'll give me great feedback that I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. So you're, as a coach, you're never going to have all the answers. There's always there's always someone else you can go to. Okay. So you're asking to be coached as a coach yourself? Oh, absolutely. I always want to be coached. Mm-hmm. I think there's always, I can always improve. Mm-hmm. And that's a, grow. that's a growth mindset thing, though, is understanding that you know, like knowledge is kind of infinite and you don't just reach this plateau in your professional life and say, I'm good, I've got all I need to do. It's like, actually someone can make me keep learning and and that's a growth mindset to be able to just be a good learner means you're open to it. And I think sometimes what we forget, especially when you've been doing it for a while, this is what I always try to remind internal coaches is not only are like the person that they're coaching, not only is that person impacting the patient experience? But you as a coach, you have an impact on that experience as well. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's your why, why to coaching. Mm-hmm. I think what makes it innovative is that if you ask questions instead of tell people what to do, you're opening it up where they might find a totally different solution than you thought mm-hmm. that would happen. And they're like, like this happened to me in Temecula. And Harpreet, I think you were there for this, where Claudia, we were like, oh, yeah bring your ideas. What are we going to try while we're here? And I thought we were going to go with like A, B, and C of what we were going to recommend ultimately. And Claudia was like, we have a lot of patients who are pregnant and it's Temecula. So that's outdoor hallways because it never like rains near San Diego. Mm. And so she's like, 
are pregnant women come downstairs for their appointment and then they walk upstairs to get their labs drawn. And they're getting their labs drawn like pretty frequently throughout their pregnancy. And it does sometimes rain. Mm-hmm. And when it does, they're walking up these stairs like in their third trimester. And this makes no sense whatsoever. I want to move the lab draw station down to where their appointment is. Okay. And we were like, oh, that's a great idea. I yeah. didn't even think about that. And, and you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, the most innovative idea ever, but it was something we hadn't thought of that she came up right. with. Okay. So behind coaching and Amanda. Sorry, I spoke softly there. I ask, what is the theory behind coaching Amanda? Oh, uh, it's the Socratic approach, which comes from the Greek philosopher Socrates. Uh, what is that? <laughs> the Greek philosopher <laughs> Socrates, who, and I'm not like a huge history buff. Like if it were Adrian, she would have a full story and bio oh, of Socrates, totally. right? <laughs> She'd be like, and we he was learn. born here. Yeah, and we would learn three like, different things. Yeah, I don't know that. I just know that he has this philosophy of, teaching which is about asking questions to bring learners to their own conclusions okay so say that one more time so the socratic approach is asking questions of the learner in order to lead them to their own conclusions okay and how is that why is that an effective coaching because it engages someone's mind to come up with the answer which ends up being more sustainable and replicable than just yeah. telling them what to do. Cause it's easier to just follow the leader. It's harder to come yeah. up with your own idea. Okay. Well, and the truth is you can't coach forever. Like mm-hmm. you can only, you coach for a certain amount of time, but a person can't have a coach forever, right? So you, you ask the questions to get them think through, to think through the process, come up with their own answers, and then eventually back off the coaching. Yeah, so the rapid DPI, for example, is like three and a half days. So you come in, come in, coaches come in, and then they're gone before you know it. Right. And then, I mean, how do you, how do you make even that sustainable from a coaching perspective? Well, I think coaching. I mean, coaching is most often known as being on the floor, being shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I think most smart teams set up intensive coaching in the beginning. So after Coleman Associates leaves, there's a coaching schedule usually, and they're on the floor, and they break it up between a bunch of coaches so that, like, you know, Harpreet, if she were a coach, she would be on the floor Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the afternoon sessions, and then someone else takes, you know, the mornings of those days or whatever. And so there's a coaching schedule up front, and then you start to back off when you notice that you don't need to keep reminding people and more so, like, asking people questions about what comes next because you start to see when I don't ask, they're just doing it. It's like become the habit. Um, but I think most people make the mistake of not doing that early on. And then they are like, oh, crap. Everyone's forgot what we were doing. They're not doing it anymore. And then two weeks go by and they're like, we're going to have to send all these coaches out. And it takes longer if you don't do it up front. Gotcha. Is everyone a coach or are all people good coaches? No. 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 <laughs> uh, no. I think that you have to be willing to give folks direction and being able to provide feedback. Um, And I think that you don't have to be a good coach at everything. You'd be good at something, and what we call them sharpshooters, where somebody's great at robust confirmation calls, but they may not be so great at, I don't know, jockeying the schedule. Um, Or you have somebody who runs, an MA who runs an incredible huddle, Hmm. Um, but it needs some work with a quick start. So, well, and you have to be great at everything. And in a totally different example, we were talking about this earlier, because we were talking about how 
uh, Melissa is okay. teaching her, is working with her daughter on how to drive. Yeah. And I was telling a story, so I won't talk about Melissa teaching Rachel how to drive, because I think, I don't even know the ins and outs of that, but I'm sure Melissa's a great coach. <laughs> but I question, it's a little different when you're the parent of someone teaching them how to do something. Yes. And when I was growing up, my best friend Emily was not getting along with her mother in the van. She was learning how to drive. So she went out driving with my mom, because my mom wasn't like, gripping the side of the door and like you know <laughs> freaking out when she wasn't using her mirrors and then my mom you know had had that different relationship with emily yeah. to be in the car and like teach her how to drive and that's how she learned how to drive so i think it depends on your dynamic your relationship and i think um and I think, yeah, your expertise in the area. Although you could be the biggest expert and not click with someone, yes. and you're not going to be a good coach. And I think it's okay to switch it up in that case. I think we've done it plenty of times when we work with um, teams on the floor where, believe it or not, there are times I don't click with somebody. Um, <laughs> and I'll ask Amanda or Adrian to like jump in, anybody on our team, and say, I'm going to tag out, and you tag in and see what res- results you get. Coaching is different than management. Okay. Management yeah. and coaching are two separate things. How would you differentiate the difference between coaching and managing? Managing is a lot about accountability okay. and about holding people accountable and making sure they follow through on the expectations you've set for them. Okay. Coaching is more about leading someone through their own process of self-reflection and learning and getting them there to achieve results. So you can be a leader and coach, but it's usually like, putting on a different hat, so to speak, to do okay. that. Um, but peers can be coaches. Yes. Like you can be coached by your peer, and there's no hierarchy in that. There's no, like, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do it. Mm-hmm. What role can leaders play in making sure that coaching is happening effectively? The answer is giving people the time and knowing if we do it more upfront than later, it will make this sustainable for days, weeks, months to come, and that's a better investment than just being like, I can't give this person four hours on the floor because you know they have to do this, this, and this. And it's like, but if you don't, everyone's not gonna know how to do it and do gotcha. it well. If, if leaders say up front, we can't afford to give people the time to be on the floor. Like we can't afford for Susie, who's an amazing MA, to step out of being an MA to go coach her peers then what happens is, is people start trying to learn how to do the thing that they're trying to learn how to do, and they um, don't do it well, and then they learn the wrong way, and then they learn the wrong way, and not only do they learn the wrong way, no one's getting the positive result of it. So like, it happens, it doesn't happen well, and now you've just burned a bridge because people are like, yeah, well I tried that yeah. midway knock thing, so and it didn't of, work. You have a bunch of informed critics. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really dangerous because it's way harder to come out on the floor and try to correct that. And you've seen that. What are your tips for coaching? Um, My my first tip for coaching is when you're coaching, you're only coaching. You're not distracted by anything else. Um, I think this is, I often tell my lesson learned story. Um, When I first went through the Rapid DPI process, uh, Laura was our coach. And I think I was setting up like templates or something while I was coaching. And she comes over, she goes, what are you doing? And I was sitting in front of a computer. I was like, oh, I'm just you know, getting the schedule ready for next week. And she goes, well, what's going on with your team? And I said, oh, they're right here. And I turn around and they're gone. I have no <laughs> idea where they are. I have no idea where the MA is that I'm coaching. Um, and so she got me some oven mitts to get me to focus on coaching and not do anything else, um, to not be distracted because you want to, like 
the key is to give folks you're coaching 100% of your attention from the right. beginning. So wait, you, you wore oven mitts? I wore oven mitts. No I, only for a couple days. I think maybe a day. And the oven mitts did what? What did they keep you from doing? Uh, they kept me from doing other tasks okay. and to focus on coaching. Okay. So when coaches don't fully engage, then obviously their teams... Yeah, I mean, I got... I, yeah, you don't, you get poor results or not the results you could you could reach. What coaching look like? Sorry, that was hard to hear. I ask, what does effective coaching look like? Yeah, I think it starts with 100% of your attention. Attention. To whoever you're, yeah, attention. Okay. Absolutely. Attention to what's happening and attention to results, always bringing it back to data. So I think good coaches look for everything. So you don't just look for the things to correct, but you look for the things to praise. Yeah. And you praise them super specifically. Okay. Like when I didn't remind you, you went and you red carpeted all on your own. That was awesome. So you don't miss a beat. Yes. Like you have to praise those things. Otherwise, someone thinks you're on the floor just to point out your flaws. Yeah. And that feels terrible. Yes. The coaching is too, too prominent. You're giving feedback, mm-hmm. and then you're also praising. Yes. How can you be effective at praising? Um, you give genuine, specific praise in the moment. So don't wait too long. Be very specific about it. And be genuine. Don't just make something up. Someone can read that from a mile away. Yeah. Is that similar to feedback? Is it in the moment specific? Yes. I would think so. I mean, you have to read who you're coaching. You have to have, I mean, the key to coaching is establishing a relationship. Okay. Um, to go in with somebody and automatically start coaching them without having, I mean, you have to be best friends, but just establishing something. You're human, I'm human. Nobody's perfect, but we're working towards the same thing, right? Like the patient, improve, enhancing the patient experience. Um, and I want to, as a coach, support you in this process. Um, and then I think once you've established that relationship, yes, you give feedback in the moment. There's a fine line when you're coaching to form a good relationship and be mm-hmm. nice to someone and get them to like you, but then also to know it doesn't really matter if they like you. It matters more if they're going to perform better because of your coaching. And so I think that's a fine balance to strike yes. is good relationship building, but no, ultimately it's just about getting results. Socrates or Socrates, as Bill and Ted would say, is quoted for saying, one thing only I know, and that is that I know nothing. Bringing about innovation cannot be done without change. Change is best brought about through coaching. Thank you, Amanda Harpreet, for your time and always coaching me to be better. I owe you both a lot. Thanks again to Jonathan at Bionic Squid for his help in producing this episode. And don't forget to share and subscribe our episode and or our podcast with others. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.